0: So to begin, we have to define what sexual reproduction is. Sexual reproduction is defined when, for the survival of the species, or with purpose of producing offspring, two cells are needed. Those cells are called gametes. In the case of our species, it's sperm and egg. One cell produced by organs in the male reproductive system, sperm cell, and a cell that is produced by female reproductive organs, in this case, the egg. So the reproductive organs, they have two purposes. One of them is the production of gametes, but also the production of hormones. In the case of the male, androgens. In the case of the female, female hormones, which are estrogens and progesterone. So sets of reproduction, production of cells, gametes, that are produced by the male and female reproductive organs which, besides, have the function of producing hormones, female and male reproductive uh, organs. Uh, sex hormones. These organs, male reproductive organs and female reproductive organs are divided in different parts and one of the main components are what we call gonads. The gonads are testes in the male and ovaries in the female. And that's where gametes are produced, and hormones are secreted. The gonads, I said, are a component, one component of the reproductive organs, because besides, we have a set of ducts that are going to store and carry the gametes, a number of glands that will produce fluids, secretions, to nourish, protect, and support the gametes, and supporting structures, anatomical structures, to deliver or assist in the fusion or encounter of the gametes. Talking about the penis in the male, vagina, uterus, uterine tubes, organs that facilitate the encounter of the sperm and the egg. So starting with the male reproductive system, the male gonads are the testes, and the ducts are the vas deferens or ductus deferens, ejaculatory ducts and the urethra. And the glands in the male reproductive are two seminal vesicles, one prostate gland and two bulbourethral urethral glands. and supporting structures like the penis, the scrotum, that are going to support and facilitate the function of these reproductive organs. The scrotum is a supporting structure for the testes, and what it is is skin. It's a sack of skin and superficial connective tissue that are wrapping both testicles and Important thing about the scrotum is that there are muscles, two muscles. One of them is called dartos, and the other muscle is called cremaster. (coughs) Dartos and cremaster. What they're gonna do, they are going to make sure that the testicles work at an appropriate temperature. Testicles produce (coughs) sperm cells, and this process has to happen whenever the temperature is below or lower than 2 or 3 degrees Celsius below the body temperature. That's the reason why the testicles are not in the abdominal cavity, are not in the pelvic cavity, are in the scrotum, because they need to be at at a lower temperature than the rest of the body. And whenever the temperature changes outside, the testicles will be closer or farther than the body. In the diagram, we can see the cremaster muscle that is wrapping the testicle, and the fibers come from the inguinal ligament. The dartos, the dartos is a muscle that is more superficial and is right under the skin and covering the scrotum, just the lower part. The dartos is smooth muscle. Cree master is skeletal muscle. So we can deduct DARTOS is involuntary and skeletal muscle, the cremaster, master is involuntary. Although both work together, coordinated and they can react to the temperature but the cremaster master can be moved uh, under conscious uh, uh, movements. So, this uh, part that we saw here where the cremaster Master is, all this is called the spermatic cord. And the spermatic cord, as we see here in this other picture, separated from other structures contains important structures like blood vessels, arteries, veins, nerves that are going to provide blood supply, innervation to the testicle. And besides, the ductus deferens or vas deferens is a component of the spermatic cord, vas deferens, testicular artery, veins, lymphatics, and nerves which are, which belong to the autonomic nervous system. The arteries, the artery, testicular artery, bring the blood in this direction. The ductus deferens brings the sperm cells in opposite direction from the testicle to the pelvic cavity and to the ducts and the rest of the glands. Spermatic cord, as we see in this picture, we'll go through the inguinal canal. The inguinal canal is an opening in the abdominal wall that goes across the wall. There's an external orifice and internal orifice. And the inguinal canal is a space that sometimes gets dilated and gives place to hernias but normally it's very tight and just the spermatic core goes through these openings. And the purpose is that the ductus deferens that brings sperm cells from the testicles, bring all the sperm cells to inside the pelvic cavity and connect to the other ducts mixed with the seminal vesicle fluid to be the comp- components of the semen. So these openings go through the layers of muscles in the abdominal wall, transversus abdominis, internal oblique, and external oblique. In the female, there is also inguinal canal, but there is no ductus (coughs) deferens. Instead, there is a ligament called round ligament. Round ligament that connects the uterus and goes through the inguinal canal. It goes to the inguinal canal and anchors the uterus to the skin or subcutaneous tissue and connective tissue in the genital area. Because if we go back to six weeks, seven weeks of embryonic development, we'll see that male and female cannot be differentiated just by looking at the gonads and the system of ducts. They look exactly the same at some point during the development, they differentiate into the male reproductive organs, and some of these ducts will turn into ductus deferens in the male. And if it's a female, that same structure will turn into round ligament. But both will go through the inguinal canal. That's another view of the spermatic cord entering to or through, going through the abdominal wall muscles and getting inside the pelvic cavity. As I said, these openings sometimes are too open, too dilated and give place to hernias, abdominal hernias that are called inguinal hernias. So going more to the testicle anatomy, we see the testicle here Uh, connected to the spermatic core, where we see all the blood vessels, veins, arteries, nerves, and the ductus deferens or vas deferens also there. If we follow this ductus deferens, then we'll see that it's coming from all this system of little ducts here. And the testicle is divided like in compartments, many compartments that come from this called tunica albuginia. Tunica albuginia is a white membrane, very thick membrane, fibrous membrane, surrounding the outside of the testicle. And from the tunica albuginia, we see projections. We call them septa, dividers, that make compartments. And inside this compartment, we see very fine tubules kind of like little loops or spaghetti there, those are called seminiferous tubules. All of them will connect to this central part called the reti testis, which translates for network of tubules. And from there, they connect through the efferent ducts, like this straight ducts, to the epididymis. The epididymis is all this organ or part of the testicle that is on top. And that contains still a very fine tubule. And if we follow this tubule, it goes in this way, go to the bottom, and then it starts going up and turns into the ductus deferens. That's all the pathway of the sperm cells that are produced in the seminiferous tubules. Seminiferous tubules are the places where the sperm cells are produced. And they go to, following, retitestis, the efferent ducts, and then to the epididymis, ductus epididymis, and the ductus deferens or vas deferens. During the section, when we do the section of the testicle in this way, We go through different layers, open the skin, and we start finding the different layers. We'll find the dartos, which is a very superficial muscle right under the skin. But then we'll open a little cavity where the organ is. And inside that cavity, we'll find the testicle covered by a white, fibrous, thick membrane as we see in this picture. And on top of the testicle, we see this other organ called the epididymis, epididymis. The word epididymis translates for epi above didymis. I think it's Greek for twins. So it's like, say, on top of the twins. Organs are on top of the twins. Easy to to remember the, the meaning of the word. And from the epididymis continues the ductus deferens that we see now in the espermatic cord going in this way, and we'll keep going in that way. Under the microscope, and this is one of the things that we're going to see in the lab today with slides, we can see sections of these seminiferous tubules. As seen here we see the round shapes and they are called tubules because they are tubules. They have a space in the middle. But what we should notice is that the walls of these tubules, the wall of these tubules is very thick and contains many cells. All those cells are the cells that are producing and actually they are the Intermediate stages in the development of the sperm cell. Here we have another picture where we see all the components, the tunica albuginia, the seminiferous tubules connecting to the reti testis. And from the reti testis, deferent ducts to the epididymis and continues with the ductus deferens. In the section under the microscope, we should also notice that in between the tubules, there are cells that are called interstitial, interstitial cells, they have a specific function. This is a more detailed view of the seminiferous tubules, and the cells that we see here, all these cells, Use red. All these cells are the precursors, are the origin of the, spermato, uh, the, the the sperm cells. The development occurs in a way that the cells progress and end up in the central part of the tubule. Here we can see sperm flagella. So all the tails of the sperm cells. And these black dots there are the heads of all the sperm. The origin is the spermatogonia, which is the mother cell, and it's those cells that are very close to the wall, to the external wall. From there, they start developing into sperm cells that are released into the central part the lumen of the tubule. And in between the tubules, we have this group of interstitial cells. Interstitial cells in between the tubules. So interstitial cells, what they do, they secrete, they produce this hormone called testosterone. Interstitial cells produce these, uh, this hormone. <coughs> Production of testosterone by the Leydig cells or interstitial cells, it starts at puberty and the testosterone is responsible for helping in the process of formation of sperm and the development of the secondary sexual characteristics that are listed here. Hair growth (coughs) patterns, lowering of the voice, anabolism, especially in the muscles, bones, and the development of the sexual drive. Now the sperm, also called spermatozoa, are produced in the seminiferous tubules that we've seen. And the precursor cell, the cell where everything begins, is called spermatogonia. The spermatogonia are developed during the embryonic life, and at birth, the testicles have. Spermatogonia, and those spermatogonia, those cells in the testicles, they remain inactive until puberty. During puberty, there will be secretion of the pituitary gland, two hormones, LH and FSH. Follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, will stimulate (coughs) Sertoli cells. What are the Sertoli cells? Well, go back to the seminiferous tubules picture here. All these cells of the wall, they are actually wrapped by a big cell called Sertoli cell. This Sertoli cell is actually one cell that is kind of providing the support. It helps all these cells in development. And as we will see in this diagram, the Sertoli cell here. You can see the yellow cytoplasm with the big nucleus and it's wrapping or surrounding uh, cells in development, the spermatogenic cells and the sperm cells. <coughs> Sertoli cell will pro- provide the support, the nutrition for the development of the sperm. And the Sertoli cell will be under the influence of FSH. FSH will start stimulating the Sertoli cell to help these cells to develop. Testosterone also helps for this. Who makes that testosterone? The Leydig cells or interstitial cells. That's a different name for the interstitial cells. They call them Leydig cells. And the Leydig cells receive a stimulation from the LH, both coming from the anterior pituitary gland. So all that process starts at puberty. FSH and LH are produced, beginning uh, to be produced, and stimulate the Sertoli cells and Ladic cells, promoting production of testosterone. And the FSH, (coughs) the Sertoli cell, will start stimulating production of sperm cells. Spermatogenesis, we call that process. LH stimulates Ladic cells or interstitial cells, and these cells secrete. Testosterone. Sertoli cells, they provide the support to this, these cells in development, and at the same time, they release this hormone called inhibin, which is going to provide negative feedback. As everything in the endocrine system, negative feedback is provided by inhibin. So it will tell the pituitary gland that's enough, no more FSH. And we get the homeostasis in the production of these hormones. The Sertoli cells are hard to see to be seen uh, are hard to see in the under the microscope, unless we differentiate. As a, 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 we differentiate, a big nucleus. A big nucleus and between the rest of the nucleus of all cells in development. But we can see all the other cells, small nuclei, that are changing in different stages of mitosis, and those are the cells that are turning into sperm cells. What we see usually is the, all these sperm cells that are almost complete in the development with their tails in the lumen of the tube. And these are the loops, these are the loops of um, LH and FSH and interaction with the pituitary gland and hypothalamus. So for the case of the male reproductive system, hypothalamus secretes GnRH, (laughs) gonadotrophin releasing hormone. That will stimulate the pituitary gland and the pituitary gland will secrete both LH and FSH. These two hormones will act on the testis, Leydig cells, interstitial cells, and sertoli cells. The interstitial cells will produce testosterone, and the sertoli cell will secrete inhibin. <coughs> These two are going to exert negative feedback. Testosterone, negative feedback on the pituitary gland, and hypothalamus and the inhibiting from the Sertoli cell will exert negative feedback on the pituitary gland. That's how all this is controlled. And in the female, on the other side of the picture, we have the, almost the same, GnRH, stimulating pituitary gland for the secretion of LH and FSH which are going to influence the ovary to make estrogen and inhibit and progesterone. And these two are going to stimulate or exert negative feedback on the hypothalamus and on the pituitary gland. Spermatogenesis, see this diagram shows the uh, seminiferous tubule wall and actually how this occurs. We see the spermatogonium or stem cell. There's this cell close to the wall. This is a capsule, the wall of the seminiferous tubule, the outermost wall. And this spermatogonium, this spermatogonium is a diploid cell, as you see here, 2N, 2N, 46 chromosomes. Well, this spermatogonium divides in two daughter cells. One cell, one of the daughter cells, will continue the pathways to sperm cell, but the other daughter cell will replace the mother cell. And that's why every time the spermatogonium gets into the sperm cell, there is a replacement for that spermatogonium. And that is why male reproductive system can produce sperm cells for a lifetime. It's not the same case in the female reproductive system where the ovaries have a limited number of eggs. So the process continues. One of the daughter cells will turn into primary spermatocyte, which is still to n 46 chromosomes. And here is when the thing changes, when it goes to secondary spermatocyte. And now the chromosomes, they divide in two groups of 23 chromosomes that will go to each of the cells. So now secondary spermatocyte is haploid cell, 23 chromosomes, then turn into spermatid, the spermatid just continues its development into a sperm cell with the head and will detail all the final configuration. Now, as long as they go developing, they get more central to the lumen of the seminiferous tubules. Yes? The other one enters into meiosis to turn into a sperm cell. We have the complete picture here with all the cells that result of the process of meiosis. We have the spermatogonium here, <coughs> two daughter cells. This one will replace the original cell, and this other daughter cell will enter into meiosis differentiation. Meiosis one, sperma, uh, primary spermatocyte, which is haploid, turns into secondary spermatozoid, which is N, just N, haploid. And these two cells with N number of chromosomes will even go into second meiotic division and give place to four cells, which have the same number of chromosomes, N. To finally have four sperm cells, (laughs) Each with an n number of chromosomes, or 23 chromosomes. So one is spermatogonium at the beginning will end up as four sperm sperm cells, or the spermatozoa. Every day, this is an estimated number of sperm cells that are produced. Spermatogenesis. And the sperm, the final, will contain all these parts that will allow the D-cell to move and when it reaches and meets the egg, it will be prepared to get inside and fuse the nucleus with the uh, egg or secondary site. Because the same thing happens in the female reproductive system. it's also meiosis. In this case, it's called site as the egg that is fertilized by the sperm if the encounter happens. So the sperm cell has 23 chromosomes, half the normal number. It has a head that contains a nucleus and a tail that contains contracted proteins that allow the flagellum or tail to move. And covering the head, two-thirds of the head, is the acrosome, which is a kind of helmet that these cells have, as we see here. The acrosome is like a helmet on the head. But it's very important because it contains enzymes, hyaluronidase, and proteases that are going to help to open the membranes and the structures that are surrounding the oocyte making possible for uh, the sperm to reach the egg, the membrane of the egg and fuse. In the middle piece, or neck, we see a bunch of mitochondria. If there is movement, lots of ATPs are needed for uh, allowing this movement. And the tail, or flagellum, that ends in a very thin end piece. What is the size of the sperm cell from head to tail? We did that in one lab in 48. And what is the size of a red blood cell? Red blood cell from 8 to 10 microns. Sperm cell up to 50 microns. Just a head, maybe five, 10, from five to 10 microns, but the whole, from head to tail, maybe up to 50 uh, microns. So the pathway that the cells, the sperm cells follow before reaching the seminal vesicles and get to the ejaculatory duct uh, before ejaculation the pathway it starts in the seminiferous tubules, seminiferous tubules, and we did that with the other picture. Uh, <coughs> second, the retitestis, testis, the network where all these seminiferous tubules drain. From the retitestis, testis, the efferent ducts There are these straight ducts that connect to the ductus epididymis, which is a duct that is inside the epididymis, all coiled, very, very coiled. And finally, it connects to the vas deferens or ductus deferens that will bring all the cells to the pelvic cavity inside with the rest of the reproductive system. And where it goes with the vas deferens, the vas deferens, we see it here getting through the wall of the abdominal muscles and surrounds the urinary bladder. And behind the urinary bladder, between the bladder and the rectum, there's this space where the seminal vesicle is located, the prostate gland, the ejaculatory duct. So following the vasiference, the next will be the ejaculatory duct, which is within the prostate (coughs) gland, and then reach the urethra. And the urethra has three portions, as we will see in other pictures. There is one portion of, that is called prostatic, second, membranous, and third, the penile urethra that runs in the corpus cavernosum through the length of the penis. Here we see all these structures aligned. Yes. What exactly happens when? Like when you get there as the Oh, in vasectomy. In vasectomy, what happens is um, <coughs> let's go to this picture here. Yeah, vasectomy is a procedure by which you cut the ductus difference at this point. You cut tie, so you interrupt the flow of sperm cell. So what's gonna happen is no more sperm cell will go beyond that point. But the fluids are produced in the seminal vesicles and the prostate gland. So the semen is still produced. There's still ejaculation, but it contains no sperm cells. Only sperm cells go through the ductus deferens. Of course, with some minimal amount of fluid, but it's not important component of the seminal fluid. Seminal fluid is a mixture of secretions of the seminal vesicles, secretions of the prostate gland, which are produced beyond that point. So what happens after vasectomy is that the ejaculations that happen after the procedure will still have sperm cells that are beyond that point right after the procedure. But as long as more ejaculations occur, all the sperm cells will be ejaculated, and after... Four to six weeks, in average, the seminal fluid will contain no sperm at all. That's one of the recommendations after vasectomy: is that the patients will have protected sex for at least two months, because if they don't do that, they can fertilize I mean, sperm. There's still sperm there. They have to get rid of all the sperms that are in that, in those uh, places of the reproductive system. And then after that, no sperm cell. Produce there, I mean, it is still produced. Now the other question you may have is what happens with the sperm cell, and it's still being produced or not? Yes, the cells are produced, in the same rate. So what happens, where do they go? Well they reach that point, where there's a stop, and since they cannot go further, they die and they are reabsorbed. That's what happens with the sperm cells after the vasectomy. But if you get a sample, of the testicle, like in a biopsy, of the seminiferous tubules, you still see spermatogenesis. You still see interstitial cells producing testosterone. That's another uh, question that some patients have. uh, uh, After vasectomy, my masculinity will be affected. No, because the testosterone is still being produced there. And the testosterone travels to your body through the blood vessels. So that is not affected at all. It's just the sperm cells are not going through the duct anymore. <coughs> Any other questions? Yes. So if a male has low testosterone levels, is it the interstitial cells that are not producing enough? That, yeah, that may be a reason why the testosterone is not produced and there are some uh, diseases like viral diseases that affect the testicles sometimes that can uh, uh, damage these cells and low levels of testosterone may be produced. Yeah. Yeah. I can't hear you very well. So, like, because you're just, like, blocking the sperm cells from coming, would the procedure be, like, um reversible? Oh, reversible. Yeah, it, it can be reversible, yeah. See, those two uh, <coughs> ends that have been cut and separated, there are procedures by which you can reconnect. You can reconnect, and the sperm now goes through, and everything goes back to normal. But the rate of success of these recanalization procedures goes from up to 50, 60% of success. It's not 100%. Because it depends. I mean, you, you cut those in vasectomy, and it's like right, those ends are, they have scar, you know, connective tissue. And sometimes the reconnection is not uh, successful completely. But in many cases, it works, and it works very well. Many people that do this, and, and they still have kids after this, but it's not 100% success. Any other question? Let's go for a break. All right, let's continue. So in the male reproductive system, the system of ducts will continue with ejaculatory duct, The ejaculatory duct will drain to the urethra. The urethra has these three portions as uh, seen here. The prostatic urethra which is running in the middle of the prostate gland. The prostate gland is surrounding that part of the urethra. Then there is a small segment called membranous urethra which runs in the middle of this membrane which is uh, membrane that contains muscles of the pelvic floor. And then beyond that point is the penile urethra or spongy urethra that runs in the corpus spongiosum of the penis and the whole length of the penis. Now, how the ductus or vas deferens connect to the ejaculatory duct? Here we see a detailed view of how this happens. Ductus deferens comes from the spermatic core, gets inside the pelvic cavity, surrounds the urinary bladder, and it gets posterior to the urinary bladder. And it will connect to the duct of the seminal vesicle at this point. And these two, the ductus deferens and the duct of the seminal vesicle, they will get together into the ejaculatory duct. That's what the ejaculatory duct is. Before joining with the duct of the seminal vesicle, the ductus deferens gets dilated, and that's called the ampulla of the ductus deferens. Now, they both get together, and uh, they turn into the ejaculatory duct. So there are two ejaculatory ducts, one right and one left. And they drain into the urethra, into the prostatic urethra, which is open here. We can see. The prostate surrounding this portion, and these two ejaculatory dyes will drain into the prostatic urethra. Besides, the prostate, since it produces fluid, it will drain that fluid into the prostatic urethra. So the fluid that is part of the semen, as I was saying, is made by the seminal vesicle and the prostate gland. And the ductus deferens bring all the cells, the sperm cells from the testicles. Seminal vesicles secretes an alkaline fluid, thick fluid, mainly during ejaculation. So during the process of the sexual response, the seminal vesicles start producing more fluid. It's always producing a minimal amount of fluid, but more during the sexual process, the sexual stages, uh, before ejaculation. And it makes for 60% of the total volume of the semen. Composition of the fluid of the seminal vesicle, fructose, contains carbohydrates for energy. Prostaglandins, that stimulate contraction of a smooth muscle and clotting proteins like fibrinogen. And it's alkaline because the male urethra is acidic. The urethra in the male serves two systems, reproductive system and urinary system. So it's always the urine is going through the urethra and the pH there is acidic. So it has to be alkalinized by the fluids of the ejaculation. And the female reproductive tract, the pH of the vagina is acidic. And the sperm cell has to be protected with an alkaline fluid if they are going to be in the acidic environment. The prostate gland, it's a gland with the shape of a donut. It has a, an opening in the center, like a central uh, defect, well, through that hole, is where the urethra goes. It's a ring of tissue around the urethra, the first portion of the urethra. And it secretes a fluid, which is a 25% of the ejaculate. Prostatic fluid is whitish, kind of milky, and it's slightly acidic. Contains citric acid, also for energy. Acid phosphatase, which is an enzyme. And other enzymes like PSA, and hyaluronidase. And the third gland is the bulbourethral urethral gland or Copper's gland. It's very small, inferior to the prostate, and it secretes mucus, which is alkaline. This gland, the bulbourethral gland, secretes an alkaline mucus in the first stages of the sexual response during the stimulation and erection we see the activity of the bulbourethral urethral gland producing this mucus that helps to alkalinize the urethra first and helps for lubricationals. There are very small, very small glands, the bulbourethral urethral glands that you can see here in this picture, bulbourethral. urethral, very small, located in the membranous urethra, I mean membranous, uh, yeah, the drain into the membranous urethra. So, those are the three glands the seminal vesicles, prostate gland, and the bulbourethral gland. <coughs> so, semen is a mixture of all these fluids. Seminal fluid contains fluid from the seminal vesicles, prostate gland, plus the sperm. Volume of semen. This is just a referential number, 2.55 milliliters with approximately 150 million sperm cells per milliliter. And this is something that is measured sometimes in people that may, uh, we suspect infertility or the male infertility, we have to count the number of sperm cells in the ejaculate fluid. When this number falls below 20 million per, uh, per milliliter, then is when we think about infertility from a male cause. <coughs> penis contains the urethra as a passage for semen and urine, but never at the same time because the pH of these fluids are different. There are two types of tissues in the penis. We call them the corpus cavernosum and corpus spongiosum. And this tissue, they attach to the root of the pelvis of the pelvic bones by the, these two structures. Oops. And the central part of the corpus spongiosus will make up the bulb of the penis, the root of the penis. Corpora cavernosa are the two dorsolateral structures that are surrounded by a thick membranous connective tissue and the corpus spongiosum is ventral, and it is the one that contains the urethra. And as the name says, espongiosum, it doesn't have that thick membrane of connective tissue around it. So during erection, what happens is the blood fills up these spaces inside the corpora cavernosa. And here we have a, a cross section of the corpora cavernosa, and we can see those big spaces. And those are the spaces that fill up with blood during the erection. Erection is a contraction and dilation of blood vessels that allows the blood to remain for longer inside this space. And when the blood fills up, these spaces around the corporal cavernosa since there's a thick membranous tissue around it, it gives a sensation of being very hard, which doesn't happen in the corpus spongiosum, which there is not, this membrane is not so thick. And it doesn't have to be thick because the urethra is running there if it were so hard the u- urethra would be compressed during the erection and that doesn't happen the male sexual response contains different stages that it starts with the stimulation the response to a stimuli that are visual tactile <laughs> auditory olfactory or even imagined Parasympathetic fibers start this, and helps for the erection stage. Nitric oxide stands for NO, and this is the neurotransmitter that mediates this dilation of blood vessels, so the blood can enter into the sinuses, those spaces in the corpora cavernosa, and uh, After ejaculation, this stimulus will stop and the erection will go away. And the ejaculation, the response for ejaculation is under sympathetic stimulation. This is one of the things, one of the places where we see, we don't see opposition of sympathetic and parasympathetic. We see cooperation. Because first, the parasympathetic stimulates for erection, and then the sympathetic uh, for ejaculation. So ejaculation is a process of emission of semen, and what happens is that the smooth muscle at the base of the urinary bladder will close, so no urine will go to the urethra. And then the semen will come from the seminal vesicles to the prostatic urethra, the prostate will produce a fluid, mixed with cells. And around the muscles of the pelvic floor, there will be powerful peristaltic contractions. Seminal vesicles will contract also, surrounded by smooth muscle. And the muscles of the base of the penis will contract the urethra, and that's what we have the emission of semen to the exterior. All of these under sympathetic stimulation. Ejaculation is under uh, sympathetic stimulation. Questions about the male reproductive system. So let's move into the female reproductive system, which is more complex. The male reproductive system is not so complex, this is complex. Because there are different cycles. The ovaries, they suffer transformation and the stimulation of hormones and the uterus also suffer different transformations and changes during the days of the month. So let's start with describing the anatomy of the female reproductive system. We start with the ovaries, which are the gonads. The system of tubes, in this case ducts or tubes, are the uterine tubes or fallopian tubes. The uterus the vagina and the external genitals, which are called in group, the vulva or pudendum uh, region. The sagittal section is shown here, where we see most of these organs, the ovary that looks white. It has a white surface. And if you see and compare the ovaries and the testicle, they look very, almost the same. The outer membrane, the whitish membrane is the same because remember at the beginning i said that these organs develop from a gonad an organ that is looks the same in male and female embryo then at some point they differentiate if xx into ovary of the xy into a testicle the internal reproductive organs are usually shown in this way, the uterus, the uterine tubes, and the ovaries. And in this type of views, we can see most of the structures that are components of the reproductive organs inside the pelvis. We can see the ovaries, which are connected to the uterine wall by means of the ovarian ligament The uterine tube starts from the uterus and extends to the ovary. It gets very close to the ovary. The uterus with a cavity, it's a muscular organ, smooth muscle that opens to the exterior through the cervix where there's an orifice that connects to the vagina. Now all these organs are wrapped by peritoneum. On two folds of the peritoneum covering these organs, we call it broad ligament. Broad ligament. But it's just peritoneum. It's peritoneum that comes and follows and covers and practically gets all the organs like in a sandwich in this way. And we see both layers together and we call it broad ligament. In the middle of that broad ligament, we see structures like the ureter going through and the uterus have ligaments. One of the ligaments is called sacrouterine ligament, which can be seen here running also in the middle of that broad ligament. And this is the way that the actual organs look like. If we go to the pelvic cavity with a laparoscope, which is an instrument that contains a camera that is introduced to a very small opening in the wall of the abdomen. And that camera is uh, focused and directed to the pelvic cavity. This is what we see. How we get oriented here, this is anterior. This is posterior, following that logic. So all this that we see here is the rectum. Anteriorly here, the picture has been cut, but here we have the urinary bladder. This is the uterus. These are the tubes. And the white is the ovary. And if you notice here, at this point, there is like this kind of membrane, a membranous part, covering all that. That is the broad ligament. That is the broad ligament. And it's not actually like we see in the pictures of the books, like the tubes are like this, like two extended arms very nicely, like this. It's not like that. The books lie all the time. Well, actually, what happens is that these tubes are mobile, you can move them. Yeah, you, you can grab there a couple of instruments and grab the tubes and make it like this, you extend it. But it's not actually how the way uh, the anatomically are. And the ovaries are also like that. They are behind the uterus usually like that. They are not in both sides, they are behind the uterus. So let's start with the ovaries. The histology of the ovaries. Here we have an image, a transverse section, (coughs) a longitudinal section of one ovary. And it contains the following parts. Outside, it's covered by a layer of simple squamous epithelium that is called germinal epithelium. Then inside the tissue, we have, the ovarian tissue, we have two areas, the cortex and the medulla. In the cortex, we find ovarian follicles which is um, a group of cells that contain the oocyte, which is the gamete, and is surrounded by other small cells. All that is called a follicle. And in the medulla, we have blood vessels. And so here in the picture, the medulla is bringing all the blood vessels here to the central <coughs> part of the ovary. Another view, the medulla and the cortex and all these kind of vesicles, they are the follicles. This is a big follicle and the central thing here, that is an oocyte and actually the gamete. So the follicles contain the oocyte plus other cells surrounding the oocyte in big spaces that contain fluid. So we said at the beginning the role of the ovary is to make is to produce oocytes female gametes and release them in the process of ovulation which happens at the mid part of the cycle every monthly ovarian cycle the oocytes when they are ovulated they are in the stage of secondary oocyte in the meiosis uh, they are in the stage of secondary oocyte. And the other function of the ovaries is to secrete hormones like estrogen, progesterone, inhibin, and one more is mentioned here called relaxin. All these hormones are produced by um, by the ovaries. This is a photograph of ovulation. It's a very nice picture the ovary, the surface of the ovary, all this is the ovary, it's white surface. And at some point, during ovulation, what happens is that the follicle grows so much, so it's like a big cyst, which is all this. And in the mid part of the cycle, the old site, surrounded by a few cells, is actually eliminated, ejected through the walls of the ovary. This is the point, previous to this. Before this happens, under the microscope, we can see this, and all this is a follicle here. The oocyte surrounded by a few cells is here. And this is the one that goes through the wall of the ovary and gets out. What happens to the wall of the ovary? It breaks. There's an opening, actually, it breaks the the wall of the ovary and sometimes it bleeds. As you see here, there are blood vessels on the surface of the ovary. And during ovulation, sometimes, there's this minimal bleeding occurring. And if there is bleeding in the abdominal cavity or pelvic cavity that irritates and produces pain, discomfort, And some women is very clear. They know when they are ovulating because they feel pain, discomfort in uh, the pelvic cavity, abdominal cavity, bloating symptoms, sometimes pain that is very intense because of minimal bleeding that usually happens during this moment of ovulation. This is a photograph of some of the models to show this particular arrangement of the tubes. And actually, we do this in order to see and describe all parts all the tubes and the uterus, make it clear um, about the ligaments and all the structures that we saw in uh, in the previous picture. More structures are here. The uterus, for instance, it has different parts. This top part, the one that we saw in the photograph of the organs in the pelvic cavity, that's the fundus. That's the very top part of the uterus. Then the body of the uterus and the cervix, and there is an area here, this line will determine what is body and what is cervix, and it ends here. The cervix has two openings, external opening or external os, and internal opening or internal os. This is the uterine cavity, that's the place where the embryo and fetus develop in case of fertilization and pregnancy. Now, the uterus has three layers, three layers, which are called endometrium, myometrium, which is the smooth muscle muscular layer, and perimetrium, which is just a peritoneum covering the organ, visceral peritoneum. Endometrium is a layer that responds to hormones. It's hormonal sensitive, sensitive to hormones. So regarding the tube, the uterine tube. The uterine tube has different segments. The First segment is that part, the beginning of the uterine tube connected to the uterus. Then we have a very small part called the isthmus (coughs) of the uterine tube, which is very thin. Then it gets a little bit dilated and that's called the ampulla. Then after the ampulla, We have the infundibulum, it turns like a funnel here, it's more dilated. And finally, there are these projections or finger-like projections at the end that we call fimbriae. They're actually like finger-like projections, like a little hand. And the uterine tube is also made of smooth muscle, So it's contracting and moving all the time like this, doing this like fingers around the ovary or very close to the ovary. Fertilization occurs usually in the ampulla. So the sperm has to travel all the way up, get to the vagina, go through the cervix, get into the uterine cavity and then go to both tubes. And how the sperm knows if there is if the is in the right side or left side. Chemotaxis, different types of stimulus and factors that guide the sperm cell, but they go in both directions. more go in one direction where the oocyte is if uh, ovulation was successful. So we have here the parts of the uterine too. We have the pars uterina, that's called the beginning, connection with the uterus, then the isthmus, which is thin, ampulla, infundibulum, and then the fimbriae. The fimbriae that contains all these finger-like projections, abdominal ostium, it means just the opening. It's just the opening. And the ovary is not, the the, the tube is not touching the ovary. It's not something like this. Actually, the ovary is here and the tube is like that. So when one oocyte is ovulated, it's not in physical contact with the tube. It's something like this. And that's why the tube is making this all the time. And when making this, it makes negative pressure and when the oocyte is ovulated, it's kind of sucked into the uterine tube. And hopefully and usually that happens, but sometimes the, the, the oocyte is ovulated and the tube is not there or it's sick and the scar additions, problems, and the all all oocyte is not taken and it goes to the abdominal cavity and it's reabsorbed, it's lost, the oocyte. That's one of the things that happens in some cases of infertility when the tube is not functional or there are scars because there were infections (coughs) before, surgeries or many other things. The ovaries are connected to the uterus by the ovarian ligament. We can see that also here. The ovary is here and connected to the wall of the uterus. But the other pole of the ovary is connected through the suspensory ligament to the wall of the pelvis. So the ovary is not floating there. It's connected to the uterus and the other side to the wall of the abdominal cavity or pelvic cavity. This is a view of the broad ligament, which is a major support because it's holding all the organs, like in a sandwich, as I said. It's like two members of the peritoneum, uh, providing this kind of wrapping uh, around these organs. And two more ligaments are uterosacral that go from the uterus to the sacrum, which is at that point. That's where the sacrum is, that part of the spine. That's where the uterus is, and the cervix sends a couple of ligaments to support the uterus and keep it in place. So the uterus, here we have some other descriptions, is situated between the urinary bladder and the rectum. It is a place where the fertilized oven, or egg, or oocyte if fertilization occurs, that's a place where the, this oven will implant and develop. And this is the source of the menstruation, the uterus, because the endometrium, the endometrium, that inner layer of the uterus <coughs> suffers changes along the month by hormones in preparation for the pregnancy. So the point of the endometrium is be a change, get ready for pregnancy. If pregnancy doesn't happen that month, well, the endometrium makes no sense to be there. It has to be eliminated. And the next month, the next cycle it starts to regrow, getting prepared for if there is a pregnancy. And that's the reason of the menstruation every month. Again, we have this View and the parts of the uterus, as we mentioned in the other picture. The fundus is the top part, the body from here to here, and the cervix of the uterus. And this is one for you to label at home. You can do all the labels you wish here. Questions, comments? We still have more to do with the female reproductive system. All physiology, which will be done on Thursday. So hormones, interactions, endometrium, all that. All right.